And for my first trick, I'm going to be riding the bicycle, swinging the pickaxe, using the shovel, and using this map. No. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33. Then Matthew 4.17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in Luke 8.1, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. What does the kingdom of God look like? How will we know when we get there? What would the measurements of the kingdom of God be? And if we go about seeking it, and if we go about building the kingdom, what would that look like? How do we do that? There are certain dimensions of the kingdom of God reflected in James in terms of the wisdom of the kingdom, and I'm going to talk about that today. The, um, the summer reading program that we've had in the book of James and then messages on Sunday related to, to it have certainly been profound in my life. There are some people who are doers and there are some people who are beers. Uh, some would rather just be, but some would rather do. I'm a grateful believer, and I struggle with kind of being a nervous guy, and so I like to do stuff. I like direction. I like to keep active. I like to keep moving. And so the book of James, which talks a lot about the kingdom of God in a how-to fashion, a how-to book of the kingdom of God, it really appeals to me. But I've been really blessed through this series so far. And James 3, 13 to 18 is our text today, and it's sandwiched within the rest of James... When James was written, when all the books of the Bible were written, they were not written in simple paragraphs with subheadings and titles divided up. It was one long flow of ideas. And so if we look at the book of James, it is a how-to book. It's a book of action. It, it's a book that tells us how to live. It, it tells us about measuring our faith by our works and tells us about our faith without works being dead. And last week, Chrissy talked about how the activity of our tongue can be very deleterious. And the tongue speaks from the heart. Our heart speaks through our tongue. And there's a lot of consequences of that. And it's hard to tame. And then this Sunday I talk about the wisdom of the kingdom. And then further on in James, as we go through the rest of this series, James talks about further warnings of being worldly and warnings to the rich. Again, telling us how to live our lives. And then having patience in suffering, certainly something that is antithetical. It's opposite of how we want to live. And then finally, James finishes up with talking about the prayer of faithful and the power of prayer. Again, for people who are doers, it's hard to just sit and pray. But James is really heavy-duty stuff. Uh, but it does tell us how to live our lives uh, different from the world. The wisdom of the kingdom. Well, let's look at some definitions. Well, knowledge, knowledge are facts, informations, and skills. Facts, information, and skills that are learned by a person or gathered but through experience in life. That's knowledge. But wisdom is a practical application of that knowledge. What we learn in life, applying that becomes our wisdom. 
And wisdom implies soundness in action and soundness of judgment and clear decisions based on that knowledge. And wisdom implies prudence also, uh, something that is often difficult for human beings to, to evidence. But in a nutshell, then, wisdom is the understanding and application of spiritual knowledge. James talks about how the knowledge of the kingdom of God is applied. So our scripture today, James 3, 13 to 18, goes like this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us today through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can understand these ideas expressed in this part of James. This idea of wisdom coming from two places. Lord, help us grasp that so that we can live our lives in accordance with your plan and your will for our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. To summarize it then, James is saying that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's one that comes from heaven and one that comes from the world. There is one that comes from God and one that comes from the enemy. There is one from living by the Spirit and one from living in the flesh. And I chose three illustrations up here um, to, to depict this wisdom and how to pick it apart a little bit. Um, this is a map. This is a road atlas. And I prefer a road atlas when we're traveling rather than a GPS. It just gives me a better sense of where I'm going, of keeping track on things. So this is a Rand McNally Road Atlas that we used when we went to Tennessee a couple weeks ago, and I was able to track our course as Donetta drove, by the grace of God, and I got to sit and text and read the map. Um, and the other illustration is a compass, and actually there's a compass on our smartphones. I don't know that we often use them. I don't often use them, but I, I found a compass on here. So first a map and a compass, then I'm going to talk about a pick and shovel, then I'm going to talk about this little bicycle up here. But let's go to the, the compass and map. So the question is, what is the truth? And where is the truth? And, and who is the truth? If our GPS took us to the truth, where would it take us and who would it take us to? If our compass showed absolute truth, where would it point? When I was a Boy Scout, I learned to use a compass. I can remember doing that. I remember being outside and the first time using a compass. It, it, uh, it seemed like a pretty high-tech piece of equipment at the time, um, back in 1963. Um, and then I learned to take this little compass that I had, which was not a smartphone, but just a little metallic compass and a map and align the two. I, I was out on my first maneuver as a, as a tenderfoot uh, with a bunch of other scouts who I guess were called tenderfeet or tenderfoots. I don't know what the name of really of more than one tenderfoot is, but 
we took our first five-mile hike. And it was a huge, huge accomplishment when I was 12 to be able to walk five miles with, with a group and to use this map and track us as we went along the map. And, and I found out, uh, well, I thought I was in the wilderness. I mean, I mean, we were only two miles away from home and we were only three miles outside Washington, D.C., but I thought I was in a wilderness somewhere, you know. It was a pretty cool feeling. Um, maybe not as remarkable, except that I learned that there was a north, that there was an absolute north, that there was a gravitational north, a magnetic north that the compass pointed to. And if you aligned your map with that compass and followed that map, you'd end up in the right place um, maybe not at the right time because we were pretty slow, but, but we would end up in the right place if we used the compass and the map correctly. Um, there was north, there was south, there was east, there was west, and they were four different places. Now, as life went on, I certainly wandered away from the compass of Jesus Christ, and I certainly, I'm, frankly, I wandered off the map, but, but by the grace of God, I came back and I have discovered that Jesus is the truth, and, and I use Jesus as best I can, as God's grace allows me, Jesus as the absolute north, the absolute truth. And I try to keep my compass pointed to Jesus Christ and following the, the map that he gives me. Uh, it says in Matthew 7, 14, but small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and very few find it. And we certainly do see that, don't we, that people get off the track very easily and not having an absolute truth and not letting their compass point to Jesus Christ. I, I'm blessed to be at Celebrate Recovery every Tuesday night and there each week we contrast our recovery program with other recovery programs because we're built on the truth of Jesus Christ and, and our announcer says unlike other recovery programs where you get to choose your higher power here at Celebrate Recovery we know that our higher power is Jesus and everyone hollers Jesus and we put Jesus' name up on the screen, and it's a great place to be. And then we have the scripture up on the board, John 14, 6 through 7. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and we claim that. So we try to keep our compass pointed on Jesus Christ. We try to keep it simple. We try not to get confused and complicated, because we as human beings can get confused and off track. Jesus is the model. He's the mirror against which we measure ourselves. And truly, that is a big piece of the wisdom of the kingdom. And the book of James speaks of that truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. And now I have a pick and shovel up here. A pick and shovel. In fact, the pick has a new handle because Alan wore out the old handle. You know, it's, it's unusual to wear out handles and picks. But because no one works that hard, I don't think. But when my grandfather came to America in 1900, he came to seek his fortune. And when he arrived at Ellis Island, they told him that he no longer had to work as a subsistence farmer. He no longer had to scratch out a living, herding goats and growing a little bit of stuff in, in Calabria, that he could go to work in a steel mill in Steelton, Pennsylvania, and he could use fancy tools. Uh, they told Giacomo that he could use a peak and a shovel. He could use a pick and shovel, and he thought that sounded remarkable until he got to Steelton and found out what a pick and shovel in a steel mill really is all about. But he worked hard, and that pick and shovel to me today, to you, I hope, represents the life that we 
have with Jesus Christ, and it takes work, works that bear out our faith. Because works, faith without works is dead. And what are those works that we bear? James talks so much about works in the previous weeks when we've looked at James. Works as the evidence of our faith. Works that build the kingdom of God. Works that bear fruit. Works that are based on heavenly wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, James 3.13 says, Let them show it by their good life, their deeds done in humility, which comes from wisdom. Work produces fruit, and that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, surely, in part. Galatians 5.22 and 23 but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the fruit of the Spirit, what we are to bear as we work for the kingdom of God. I'm afraid we all know what works of the flesh look like. They look far different from that. And, and many of us struggle with that. We all struggle with that, having works that look more like the flesh. That, that James also talks about. But if we work, if we use our peak and shovel, if we do the work of faith, then we can bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And I chose a bicycle here to demonstrate living a life also according to the Spirit, according to the wisdom of the kingdom. Uh, because riding a bicycle, living a life you know, according to the kingdom goes in one direction. That bicycle looks a lot like the one that I used uh, to help Monica, my daughter, learn to ride a bike 30 years ago. And it is strikingly similar, although it's a girl's bike, to the bicycle that I learned to ride some 53 years ago, maybe. Uh, it was hard to learn to ride a bicycle. I'm sure you remember that. If you got, learned to ride a bicycle, uh, it was hard in the beginning to learn all that stuff because there was a whole bunch of stuff that went together at the same time in order to successfully ride it. But once you had it, you had it. You know, you had to learn how to lean. You had to learn how to turn the handlebars to go a certain direction. You had to learn to pedal in one direction. You had to learn to balance. And then, on top of that, you had to learn to use the brakes. And I found that really complicated because there were coaster brakes back in those days, not hand brakes. And you had to pedal the opposite direction to get the coaster brake to get you to stop. And, and uh, I, that is a coaster brake bicycle, it looks like. And I ran into a bunch of walls in trying to do all that stuff. And it was hard to learn direction. It was just a whole bunch of things to do at once. But all of a sudden, one day, my dad said, we're taking off the training wheels. And I was terrified. And then he ended up pushing me a bunch of times, and I finally learned how to do all that stuff, and then I was set on a certain way of riding a bike. And once I learned it, man, I loved it. Once I learned it, I had it. And once I learned it, I could go all over the neighborhood, and I had a lot of freedom, and that was really cool. In fact, we talk about complicated skills, sets that we learn, and, and finally gets set as, it's just like riding a bike. If someone forgets some certain skill or a, a tool bag that they have that they use every day, we say, oh, it'll come back to you. You had it before. It's just like riding a bike. But things are rather complicated. And um, riding a bike can be a symbol of the direction that our life goes 
and Jesus helps steer us. Jesus defines the values. He defines the direction that we go, the values of the world versus the values of the kingdom. And, and, and James talks about the values of the kingdom that we are to ride our bike toward. But the values of the kingdom of God are so different from the values of the world. But we're caught up in the world. We've learned to live in the world. I mean, we've got it. We, we've got living in the world, but we've got to do something really different to live in the kingdom. Truly, the kingdom of God is the opposite. It's kind of backwards. It's kind of upside down from what's valued in the world. Just look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And this is Paul speaking. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, that is so different from the world. Why would you boast about all that nasty stuff? Why would you want to be weak? I mean, the world tells you to be strong. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be independent. You know, just, just do it. You know, that's what, that's what the world tells us. But the good news of Jesus Christ tells us that we can be weak. In fact, it's good to be weak because that's the only time that God's power exists. And we should delight when we're insulted and have hardships and we're persecuted and have difficulties because that's when God's power comes to rest in our life. But how does that work? And then Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Man, that's upside down. I mean, the world tells us the opposite. We want to be first. We, we want to we do it ourselves. We want to be the top dog. We want to achieve. We want to be taken care of. In Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. Huh? For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then all that stuff carrying a pack not one mile but two and uh, giving away coats and cloaks and shirts and everything, you know, uh, that doesn't make any sense. This humble servanthood stuff that is the kingdom of God is so upside down, so different from our human nature, what is intuitive for us, what is natural for us, and frankly for what's in our sin nature. You know, we, we don't want to do that stuff. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. I've got an illustration, a video illustration, that I want to show you. And I got to see one of these bikes about a week ago. It's a, it's a backwards brain bicycle. It's reversed. And I'm going to show about three minutes of this video to kind of demonstrate just how backwards the kingdom of God is from the world, just like this backwards bicycle. So watch this video with us. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. 
Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. <laughs> All right, I'm just like, All right, so, uh, whatever you're in. Yeah. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. about that? D does not every guy in the audience want to try it? I mean, and maybe some gals too. I mean, I was there, I saw the bike, I held the bike, I decided, because I can't juggle either, that I would not even try it because 15 guys who were a whole lot bigger, stronger, and looking smarter than I was could not ride it. And they tried for an hour. Well, the rest of the video goes on, and you can watch it, on, it's on YouTube, that Destin does indeed go on to learn how to ride the bike, but it takes him doing a half an hour of practice every day for eight months. And then he finally gets it. One day, all of a sudden, things click, and he's able to ride it. Now, he gave it to his seven-year-old son, and his seven-year-old son learned it in two weeks. But then at the end of the story, Destin goes back to, uh, to Amsterdam, 
where all those people riding bikes, and he tries to ride a regular bike, and he can't do it. Just fascinating how it works. It, it just means that we're in ruts, and are we not in worldly ruts sometimes, and is living this in the spirit not as hard as getting out of the rut of, of living, as riding a bike like that? That's what the reverse bicycle message is. That's what this little bicycle up here means. Wisdom, the kingdom of God is hard to apply. It's hard to live life according to the Spirit. It's just plain against our nature. You know, if we look at, can we look at the Beatitudes from, from Celebrate Recovery uh, just for a moment? Uh, these, this is the Celebrate Recovery uh, thing that we do every Tuesday night. Every Celebrate Recovery does this. They go through the eight principles because what John Baker found was that the 12 steps of recovery match the eight Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and surely Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was kind of his cardinal, cardinal message of the values of the kingdom. And each week uh, we read these eight principles that John Baker was able to extract from the 12 steps, and he made the 12 steps into eight principles, all based on the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are all upside down from the world. So I'm going to read the principle if you all will recite the Beatitude with me, just like we do on Tuesday night. One, or I realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they're spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3. Does that make any sense? Not in the world. Two, E, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. 3C, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happier than meek, Matthew 5, 5. 4 oh, openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. Happier than pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. 5V, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Happier those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, Matthew 5, 6. 6E, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happier the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happier the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. 7R, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. <laughs> we tell everyone each week that is not a beatitude and, and eight, why? yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others both by my example and by my words happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires Matthew 5.10 we're, we're trying to get people in celebrate recovery and, and the wisdom of the kingdom is to get everyone to live their life in accordance with the beatitudes with accordance with the wisdom of the kingdom of God. Now there is a reverse of the Beatitudes that is pretty striking, and I, and I brought that out today. The reverse Beatitudes are, blessed are the wealthy, for they don't need the things of God. They don't need God to give them anything. Blessed are those who are always cheery, for they don't have moments when they need Jesus to comfort them. Blessed are the proud, for they can get what doesn't belong to them by just grabbing it. Blessed are those who are wicked and have no shame, for they miss out on knowing better. Blessed are those who never spare others who have wronged them, for they will always get what's coming to them. 
Blessed are the lustful, the greedy, the grabby, for they will always have an abundance of junk. And blessed are those who stir up strife, for they will belong to the evil one. And indeed, when we live our life according to the world, we do belong to the evil one. I mean, it's either God or the world. There's two wisdoms. There's two ways to go about it. It's either Jesus or the world. And that's an absolute truth. That's a compass. That's a map. But truly, the Beatitudes are novel concepts. Truly, the wisdom of the kingdom is revolutionary. Truly, the, the, um, the way that Jesus tells us to be is novel and revolutionary and probably as hard to do, harder to do, than to learn to ride that reverse bicycle. So what is James telling us through all this, through this part of James that we read uh, in, in chapter 3? What, what am I saying today with compasses and maps and picks and shovels and reverse direction bicycles? Well, James in 3 is giving us a choice. There is wisdom that leads to life. There is wisdom based on the truth of Jesus, with Jesus being the truth. There is wisdom based on works that produce the fruit of the Spirit. There is wisdom that helps us live our lives according to the principles of the kingdom of God. And we can choose, but it's not easy because we are Romans 7 people. What we want to do, we don't do, and what we don't want to do, we do. But with the help of Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, when we surrender, certainly we can live a different life. It's hard not getting a little off north on your map and ending up all wrong. It's hard not to have works that bear the wrong kind of fruit. And it's hard not living a life um, of the Spirit. But our choice mostly is to ask God to help us, to recognize that we're powerless, that He is the power of the universe, and to take His power. If I could ask the worship team to come up. I, I encourage you all to think as we go to this last worship song, to think about where you are in your understandings, where you are in the principles of the kingdom of God. What wisdom do you follow? And um, I ask you to, to make use of the altar, if, uh, if everyone could stand. Make use of the altar if you feel called, because God would certainly like you to surrender, to take his power. And um, I just encourage you to join us in this worship song.